we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. My name is Kent C. Dodds, and I am your host for this JavaScript broadcast podcast that we love so much called JavaScript Air, um, all about JavaScript and the web platform. Today, we're going to be talking about accessibility, something that we all really care about. Um, and in particular, we're going to be talking about uh, testing accessibility in an automated fashion. Um, and so, yeah. Before we get into that and introducing our guests and panel, um, I'd just like to give a shout out to our sponsors who make many of the cool things about the show possible. First, Egghead.io is the show's premier sponsor, and they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and more. Brennan Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, uh, advanced JavaScript asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. And TrackJS uh, reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. It makes developers more productive with its super intelligent code assistance for JavaScript, Node, Angular, React, and integration with lots of different tools. Learn more at jetbrains.com webstorm. And Trading Technologies, a new gold sponsor. Uh, trading Technologies is the world's leading provider of electric, uh, electronic trading systems for pro uh, professional derivatives traders and is rebuilding their entire front end in JavaScript. Go help them build a world-class solution. So they're hiring. Awesome. So um, just as a reminder, because this is a live show, we get the opportunity to interact with our live viewers. And so if you have a question during the show, uh, tweet them at uh, the hashtag JSRQuestion, and uh, we'll cover those at the end of the show. And uh, next week, because this is a weekly show, I can tell you next week we're going to have an awesome show called Publishing JavaScript Packages. And we have a stellar lineup of guests, James Kyle, Henry Zhu, uh, John David Dalton, and Stephen Bowman. Um, so, or Boneman. I better learn how to pronounce that before the show. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm really, really looking forward to this show. These people have developed some really interesting ways to publish uh, JavaScript packages. Cool. So uh, and as always, follow us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. Let's go ahead and get started with the introductions. So for our panel today, we have Brian Lensdorf. Hey, how's it going? And me, of course, your host, uh, Kent C. Dodds. And for our guests, we have Marcy Sutton. Hello. And uh, Dylan Barrel. Hi, I'm Dylan. And Wilco Fires. Howdy. Did I say your last name right, Wilco? Nope, not at all. <laughs> Wilco Fears. 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 He's, he's a very fierce guy. Uh, ah, perfect. Yes. <laughs> Great. Well, there it is, Wilco Fears. Then um, let's go ahead and give uh, get a little intro to each of you just so we can um, know you a little bit. Um, we'll start out with Marcy. Hi, I'm Marcy Sutton. I am a senior front-end engineer at DQ, where I work on browser extensions, tools, uh, basically integrating accessibility testing into development workflows. It's my dream job, and I'm really happy to be both working on that and to be here talking about it. That's great. I love hearing that that's your dream job. That makes me happy. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I, hope we, I hope we all can find our dream job. That's great. <laughs> all right, Dylan. Yeah, hi, I'm Dylan Barrel. I'm Chief Empathy Officer at uh, DQ. My, that's not my official title, but that's what I do. <laughs> kind of understanding uh, customer problems and trying to solve them, uh, and specifically related to accessibility testing. 
Great. Um, and Wilco. Hi. Uh, my name is Wilco Fierce. I am, uh, like Marcy, Senior Accessibility Engineer at DQ Systems. And I work on a lot of things at the W3C, most notably the AutoWake Community Group. Cool, cool. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get into our topic for today. So we're going to be talking about accessibility and automating testing, but I think it's really important for us to um, make this show accessible for people. So uh, let's make sure that we uh, have a good baseline of what we're talking about when we say accessibility and um, also why we even care about this, this subject. Anybody want to take that up? Yeah, uh, so what accessibility really is, is about, you know, our, our mission is digital equality, and it's about making the same experience available to people with all sorts of abilities. So, um, you know, you can take that from a very technical aspect of accessibility, like can I actually interact with this button, can I click the button, if I'm using a mouse, can I touch it with a, with a, with a finger, and if I'm using a screen reader, can I execute the button with a screen reader and a keyboard, all the way through to kind of the more user experience end of that. And that, that is that a good experience, right? So even if I can technically interact with that, um, is it a good experience for me to be able to do that with all the different abilities? So that's kind of a very high level, what accessibility is about. It's about making sure everyone everyone can get access to the to the functionality. Does that actually, uh, just curious, does that kind of translate also into the type of language that you use on, on your website? Like the, you know, being inclusive with the, the uh, phrases that you use and, and make sure that you're not, um, like, accidentally demeaning anybody in particular? Um, I don't know if I phrased that question well. Absolutely. I can take that one. Um, yeah, so part there's all of these different um, abilities that we have to think about, uh, but something that I've heard mentioned a lot lately is the idea that we should use plain language in our marketing copy, on our websites, so that we're bringing people along who might have learning disabilities or just trouble really understanding the, the message underneath your you know marketing copy <laughs> that might not be that opaque. And so there's definitely a part of accessibility where we need to make things approachable and intuitive and easy to understand. So that's definitely part of it. Cool. Yeah, and there's different, you know, there's different types of disabilities as well. Sorry, again, for interrupting. Um, there's, you know, there's uh, disabilities that have to do with a particular physical ability, and then there's cognitive disabilities. And that's kind of what you're addressing a little bit there with language and understanding is cognitive disabilities. But also, um, you know, there are different, there, there are things we put into our products that when we don't realize what we're doing that are cultural in nature too. And so it also, uh, if you take it to that degree, can, can deal with cultural references. You know, when I first moved to the States, I <clears throat> went out to lunch with my colleagues and they're all talking about the soup Nazi. And I had no idea what the soup Nazi was because I'd never seen you know, Seinfeld. And that's a cultural reference that a lot of people in the U.S. take for granted that other people may not understand. And we don't realize how much of that actually makes its way into our product. And so cognitive impairment uh, is, is one, one example of, of something that we have to think about. I had a question. Um, is it possible to automate, test any of that, like checking for plain copy or cognitive disabilities? So, yeah, certain, certainly parts of it. Um, obviously, language is 
very tricky to analyze and test automatically. Um, that's a lot about content and understanding the context that something exists in. Um, but there are certain parts of that that relate to understanding what the content is about that you can automate. Things like, are there headings on this page? That is a huge part of understanding, what making a page understandable. Um, so there, there's certainly parts of that that you can automate. Right on. It actually makes me think of um, something I saw recently was uh, a, like a job listing linter, and it would tell you if you had offensive language in your job postings. And oh, so okay. I think I'm wondering, I haven't looked at technically how they accomplish that, but I wonder if they have a bank of phrases that they check against. So it, it seems possible, uh, but it's such a big bank of you know infinite <laughs> phrases and things to check against so that it would be a, a challenging task for sure. Yeah, so most of accessibility, when, when you look at it, often it's, it's being talked about as kind of a problem for people with visual disabilities, especially screen readers are a very common scenario, but um, accessibility really has a lot of aspects to it. it. It's it covers a very broad range of people. Like like Dylan mentioned, there's there's all sorts of different people with different limitations and different abilities. So all all of all of that falls within accessibility, really. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think the, the one of the points that's important to make we we're talking a bit today about Axcore. It's a an automated testing library, right? That's one of the things we're talking about, but it's also important to underline the fact that automation is only going to get you so far, and you can't expect automation to do everything for you. At the end of the day, accessibility is about usability too, and to some degree, for some of the, these questions, there's no there's no actual correct answer. So, um, and you just have to realize that that is there is that gray area, that fuzzy area that has to be done through a human. An example is is an image, right? You took an image of me at the beginning and you tweeted it out. And you could have created a, a, an alt uh, attribute on that image when you tweeted it out to Twitter. And you might have said something along the lines of, I don't know, bald guy with funky looking headphones, right? And that would be an, an accurate description of that image. But somebody else might look at that image and interpret it a different way and decide that what's behind me in that uh, painting in, the, in this lobby of this hotel that I'm in is more, more interesting than the guy with the, <laughs> the bald guy with the, the headphones. And in a particular context, you know, one of those descriptions might be more accurate than the other, but at the end of the day, it's also to some degree judgment call on the person writing that, that alt attribute as to what is a correct alt attribute. And that part of accessibility, and there's lots of analogs to that with, uh, with where it, 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 it uh, you know, overlaps with usability that are just not automatable at all, you know? Sure, but, and, and some, but something that isn't in question about that is that an image needs some sort of alternative. Um, it will either need a description if that image provides information, or if it doesn't provide information, you need to explicitly say, hey, this image, no information there, so you leave the alt attribute empty, and that way assistive technologies like screen readers or when you're using a Braille keyboard, they can they can ignore this piece of this piece of code there, this image there. There's, there's parts of that you can absolutely automate, but, yeah. That's something I, I had a follow-up question on. You mentioned with the uh, uh, screen reader, um, 
you know, that is where everybody kind of pushes um, accessibility these days. So, like, if it works with a screen reader, you're good. And and I wonder how true that is because, I mean, it does seem to capture, um, just for a little context, I've seen, you know, people with uh, limited mobility um, have extra tools to be able to kind of scan the page, but it almost kind of... Um, you know, builds on top of a screen reader in that way. I'm curious how far you can go just by making your screen reader work or if you have to do a lot of other work. Um, so there wasn't really a question there. I'm just wondering if you do your screen reader, is that yeah. good? Is that good no, enough? That's awesome. Like, so there's like these layers, right? Um, and we always say if you're, a begin if you're beginning out as a developer, the best thing you can do uh, the way to get like the biggest bang for your buck is literally unplug your mouse. Right? I know that this difficult these days with touch screens because you can always touch the screen sometimes even if you don't have a mouse. But if you just like take that concept of get rid of the mouse and the touch and now just try to use the keyboard with your application, you get so far uh, because at the end of the day, whether it's a voice recognition piece of technology, whether it's a one switch, uh, whether it's actually a screen reader, those all, to some degree, interact with the, the application and in, in, in they emulate a keyboard, or they are, in fact, using a keyboard. Now, a screen reader is a little different in that it, what it actually does is it intercepts. It sits uh, as an interception layer above the keyboard. So some, the, the, when you've got a, a screen reader turned on, the keyboard commands go to that screen reader before they go to the application below it. So just doing it with the screen reader on will sometimes make things function that won't function when the keyboard is turned, when you're just using the keyboard and the inverse of that, right? So sometimes if, you're, if your JavaScript <coughs> event, <coughs> excuse me, event handlers are registered but you don't have the correct roles associated with those elements, then the screen reader will block that keyboard event and it won't get through to the actual JavaScript event handler. So you do have to test with a, with a keyboard without a screen reader and a keyboard with a screen reader. But once again, that's also, you know, it's not going to cover the, um, the cognitive disabilities. Um, it's not going to cover um, some of the things that are, are um, composite multiple uh, disabilities. So, so v just like with anything else, blind people or, or vision, v uh, visual disabilities, are, we're all somewhere on a spectrum. You know, when I was 18 years old, I, was, I had 2010 vision, right? Now that I'm a little older, my vision is not quite 2010 anymore. And so everybody in every aspect is somewhere on a spectrum of a, uh, some sort of distribution. And then there are people who have multiple disabilities. And so I may, for example, have 2200 vision, which is legally blind, but I still may actually mostly use the screen uh, and a keyboard and, and a mouse. But then every now and again, I may have to use a, key, a, a screen reader because it's just, you know, that particular application or functionality is just too difficult for me to use with a normal screen reader and mouse. So you do have to think about things like proximity of information, use of color, that are not screen reader specific. So um, it gets, you know, it gets you very far, but it doesn't take you all the way. So I think we've, we've pretty well established that um, accessibility is important. Testing for it is really difficult. Um, and um, the traditional like automated testing or, or manual testing of it uh, is really really time-consuming and cumbersome um, and so what what uh, can we do to automate some of this so that we not only like continue to care about accessibility and, and ensure that we're keeping that uh, keeping our apps accessible but also we can we have time to work on features in our apps yeah, yeah. so ideally we get some features done right that's 
ultimately what we want to do. We, this accessibility thing is it's it's interesting and it's good to be working on, um, but ultimately we need to deliver. We need to get things done, and so some things that are that, that some solutions that are out there are things like AxeCore, which we've developed. Um, it's a library that you can use um, in your automated testing, and it'll check certain things that can be automatically tested. Uh, it'll check the things like, does your image have a text alternative? Do your colors have sufficient contrast? Um, are your ARIA roles correct, and are the attributes that need to go with that are they are they present? So the things like that you can you can get done really quite easily by putting in a tool like AxeCore um, into your automated testing. Yeah, I think it's important to mention that um, there is no substitute for human testing. However, by using you know checklists and automated tooling, you can get coverage for, what, 60-70% of all of these low-hanging fruit use cases. Um, so maybe you typed in um, an attribute to use ARIA, but you put ARIA-role instead of role, or role of image, and spelled it incorrectly. You, I would totally miss that if I was looking at the element inspector in the browser, but if I run an automated checker, it will detect whether I spelled it right, whether, you know, if I'm using a widget role in ARIA, um, which is a way to tell a screen reader um, the role of your HTML. If you're, you know, not using a button element for some reason, you can indicate that an element is a button using ARIA. Um, but the automated tooling will help you just by being sort of an extra set of really good eyes to check things that you may have missed. So I think it's really a handy tool to get you most of the way there. And for people who aren't doing any accessibility at all, it's a great start because it gives you a checklist, basically. It'll give you a list of things that you could fix, um, which for a lot of organizations is the, the place that they're starting. So I think it provides a lot of value. I had a question about um, how do I go about this? Do I need to have like a Karma runner, or it, does it work um, you know, uh, with any testing framework? Or uh, how, do, how would I, as a normal JS developer, kind of throw this into my stack? Um, well, you could start with the browser extensions. So there's a Chrome extension and a Firefox extension, um, and there's a number of these for accessibility. Um, the Axe extensions are free, and you can install them, and that will allow you to run an audit on any web page. It could be running on localhost, it could be out on the web somewhere, and it will run these set of rules in AxeCore uh, using the browser extension, and that's a tool that I use quite frequently. You can also take AxeCore, pull it down as an NPM module, and run the same calls in your unit tests. Um, there's an Axe WebDriver.js library you could use to run the same audits as the browser extension in Selenium WebDriver or Protractor or whatever your tools are. So there's multiple ways you could do it. People tend to start with the browser extensions and then integrate it into their testing workflow. Right on. Um, well, yeah, go for it. Oh, I was just going to ask, so it, like you mentioned that you can run it with unit tests. I'm, I'm really kind of curious how what the API looks like um, because in my unit tests often I'm not, um, like in, I, I guess sometimes I actually generate HTML, like an HTML string. Do I just hand that HTML string off to uh, this module? Is that how that works? 
Um, yeah, let me take that. So we, we, uh, we, in order to do proper accessibility testing for all the things that we can test, we have about 50-something tests in, in Axe Core. Um, we actually need a, a, proper, a proper browser. And what I mean by that is we actually need the CSS to be applied to the HTML in order to be able to do things like look at the C what colors are, are being applied, if colors are being applied, whether or not the element is, in fact, being displayed at this point in time. Uh, those sorts of things. So there's a bunch of things that, for which we require proper CSS being applied to the HTML. Um, and therefore, with AxCore, we actually require, um, you know, a, 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 we require that fixture to be attached to the, to the, to the DOM. So it, normally what I've seen is if you've got unit tests and you're just testing the HTML uh, without attaching to the DOM, then in order to in integrate AxCore, what you would do is you just append that to the body or to some special fixture div inside your the browser that you're running inside, and then run the test against that, and then just clean that up afterwards. Um, but most of the time, you find if you're doing uh, testing, especially if you're doing things like testing keyboard functionality, maybe focus functionality, making sure your focus goes into the, the right places, if you're doing all that sort of functional testing already, then it has to be attached to the DOM at that point. And so then all, all, all you need to do is actually include the Xcore library in your fixture, and call one function, and it'll do the, the, the test on that particular piece of the DOM. I see. So, like, generally, you would see this being used with either WebDriver, of course, as you mentioned, but also Karma for the unit test side of things. So, in your unit test, you would say, okay, I, like, stick this into the DOM with all the CSS it needs, whatever, and then run X on, on that fixture in the DOM. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, you could. Yeah, so you can run it with. J We're totally agnostic. We can run. With, we run with Jasmine, Mocha, QUnit. You know, any of those sorts of testing frameworks. We run with Capybara, with Selenium, with, you know, uh, any of those sort of uh, browser automation tools. And we run inside any browser that's IE nine and above. So you can literally. The, the whole idea behind. Axcore is that you use it inside the infrastructure that you already have. You don't need anything new. Um, and and that the key for that is because, you know, DQ's been doing a lot of automation since 1999. We wrote our very first automation tool to automate testing of, of, of Windows uh, applications. And one of the things we've learned over all this time is if you have a separate set of tests, automation tests for accessibility, that's an extra set of things you have to maintain. And as your application is changing and you're breaking tests because tests are just breaking because stuff is moving around and stuff, you have to maintain your functionality tests. It's easy to do that. If you have to maintain a separate set, a separate set of tests for accessibility, it's just another one of those things that gets in the way of accessibility being done. So best practice, in our opinion, is integrate accessibility testing into the tests you're already doing for your functionality, and it'll just be such, you know, a much more low kind of um, uh, friction way of just get, of getting it done. So does it work on mobile, um, you know, as well as it works on desktop, or does it catch different things that you might be needing to catch on mobile? So uh, what is it you're trying to catch on mobile? So it's Axe is a JavaScript library, so it will run in mobile web browsers. Um, you well, could inject it that way. Yeah, that's, I guess that's a, I, I've, I've experienced, um, you know, using a screen reader on mobile and using it on the desktop, and I felt like there are very different experiences. 
Um, and for at least for my novice ability, I'm not a power user by any means. <laughs> so um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, if there's anything that it could help me, like nudge me in the right direction or catch with like touch events or things like that. So your HTML requirements for mobile are the same. You're you're still giving that image its text alternative. You're still using the same ARIA. Um, the differences you'll see uh, mostly have to do with those just being different screen readers. Um, every screen reader has their own user base and they have their own preferences and things that fit more smoothly into the platform that they're building on. So you'll get a lot of differences from that. But um, as for mobile, uh, uh, the accessibility requirements for mobile are not that different than they are from the desktop. Um, That's good to hear. <laughs> you'll 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 see differences obviously if you're if if you have different uh, layouts for mobile than you have for your desktop, then you'll have different accessibility tests that need to run on the both of those. Um, but the requirements for that are still the same. It's it's still indicate your language, your images, all that sort of stuff. It's yeah, so, yeah, and, and what, what Wilco's talking about there is kind of HTML-based UIs, right? Obviously, the requirements for Android native apps or for iOS native apps are totally different. Um, we are actually working on some libraries for that right now. They're, they're not ready for public consumption. But, uh, but actually, what you touched on a little, a little bit, Wilco and I have been working over the past couple of months on something called Accessibility Supported. And so we are going to look at, there are differences, as Wilco pointed out. So for example, on iOS, tables that use what's called header ID association don't work on iOS, because Apple has just decided they don't want to implement those APIs. So that means if, you've, if you utilize those uh, you know, um, APIs, it'll work on some platforms and won't work on others. And there are other nuances like that of things that are just don't work on this platform but do on the other. And if, you're, if you have to support all the platforms, kind of what X tries to do is test across all the platforms for stuff that works everywhere. And if it doesn't work everywhere, we'll try to flag it. But what we also realize is that some organizations, when they're creating apps, say, for internal use, they can control that, that environment, and they may be able to prescribe JAWS and, and Windows, right? So for those organizations, it would be good if they could turn on additional features that, uh, that they can use and allow those to, to pass through the Axe core, core tests um, uh, correctly and be tested for correctly as well. So we are looking at in a future version of Xcorp uh, building support for that sort of thing into the library so you can actually say I'm interested in JAWS and Windows and I'm interested in Android and that's it. I don't care about iOS. Um, That'd be really helpful. Yeah, that would be cool. Something else I saw from Apple recently was um, they, so WebDriver in Safari previously required an extension and I saw um, with, I guess, WWDC just happened, and they mentioned um, that they're adding native support to Safari for WebDriver. And I saw somebody ask, I think on Twitter, about Selenium for the iOS simulator. And Apple's reply was, not yet. <laughs> so we can't programmatically you know, run the iOS simulator um, to check for accessibility. I mean, you could go in and you know, manually check things in the simulator. And I think there is some opportunity there. Um, but I think we don't quite have the tools yet to programmatically open, you know, either a mobile device. I think maybe you could use something like Browser Stack, and if we could integrate with that, I think there's some potential, um, but it's still pretty new territory. 
Yeah, I would expect uh, using something like Sauce Labs to run your tests on different devices because uh, yeah. they, if I understand it correctly, they actually have physical devices that they run your tests on, which is wild. Um, but uh, um, it, yeah, that seems like a, a fairly good solution. And I've, I've used Sauce Labs before; they're pretty good. Yeah, they are. Cool. So, um, what are um, some of the other like? Um, challenges that come with automating uh, testing uh, for accessibility. What like what makes um, your jobs harder? <laughs> well, uh, like why why would I want to use something like Xcore instead of just uh, rolling my own thing? I could take that one. Um, something I mean, Dylan just hinted at um, something. You know, he's keeping track of you know table APIs and iOS. Um, that's a bug that's been open with Apple for a while, and he happens to know that that one has sat open for years and is probably not going to get fixed. So that knowledge is baked into the rules that you're running. Um, I have taken a stab at writing my own rules like years before I joined an accessibility team, and it's hard. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of platform differences that we try to consider in when we're writing these rules. And so having, you know, 16 plus years of knowledge baked into it is something that you're not going to earn, like, overnight. And there are other um, tools and other libraries with um, similar companies, that, and they also have a lot of experience. So I think it's worth looking at what's out there before you bite that off. Um, an example was Vorlon.js, which is Microsoft's remote debugging tool. They were starting to write their own accessibility rules. Um, but it's not a core competency. Like they're really they're focusing on the remote debugging piece, and so they actually integrated Axe as the rule set to run accessibility tests in their remote debugger. Um, and I think that was a successful partnership because it allowed them to focus on what they're good at, and they could pull in an API to run accessibility tests. So yeah, that'd be yeah. my advice. Yeah, so, I've I've been working uh, at the W3C to work on developing general accessibility rules, and that's a, it. It is a very difficult uh, problem to work on. Um, so so there's there's really there's two things when you look at accessibility testing. You can automate your application, the accessibility testing of your application. You can do that, and that makes a lot of sense to do. Like if if you're writing some sort of React application, um, you know that what what your components are supposed to do. You know what certain events are supposed to trigger, and what you can do is you can automatically test. You can, you can write for your application a test to make sure that the aria that goes with that event is actually updated correctly. So that, you can do that. Um, what's a lot more difficult is to write accessibility tests that are true for every application um, because you don't really know the context of those applications. Um, if you take that example of a heading, um, if you want to make sure that everything that is a heading is actually marked up as a heading, um, if you know what the text on that heading is going to be, then it's it's fairly straightforward to figure out if that was done the correct way. Um, if that isn't the case, if you have to, based on um, the information that's just there, you have to guess which elements are supposed to be headings, yeah, that's a lot trickier. Um, 
For those of you who aren't watching the video, Wilco's screen got really dark right when he started saying wow. that for dramatic effect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not used to being at the office this late. This is a lot of sunlight right in my face. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for sticking around for us. I'm going to reposition myself. It was, it was beautiful. You started talking about the headers and how you couldn't automate that, and it just like it was like a spotlight on you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> beautiful, right? You're in good tracks around here. Are you in good tracks, ah. Wilco? Yes. No, I'm not. Ah, this is horrible. <laughs> oh, it looks fine from here. Yeah, yeah you're right. Dylan, did good. you have something you wanted to to mention as well? we'll yeah, this. yeah. Just uh, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. So first of all. Um, what Wilco is talking about is uh, is one thing, but there's actually um, just for example, take the accessible name calculation. That's part of the ARIA spec, for example. Um, implementing that is quite complicated, and so if you have to, if you wanted to go out and write your own rules, you'd have to go out and figure out all the specs to figure out how what how is an accessible name calculated so that you could actually do that properly. And we obviously have code that that already does that sort of thing. So you'd be reinventing the wheel there for one thing. For the second thing, there are bugs. So for example, in, in Firefox, for whatever reason, when they use an area, uh, area tags as part of an image map, uh, then Firefox sets those to display none automatically, even if they're actually active on the screen, whereas Chrome doesn't. So you'd have to kind of figure out over time the differences between the browsers in terms of things, weird things like that, that I don't even think are specified specifically by HTML. Um, and then, and then uh, you'd have to, uh, you know, re-implement kind of all the rules stuff that, that Wilco was talking about. But then, just to touch on also something else that Wilco mentioned in terms of writing your own tests for your own um, components, we definitely recommend that. As if you're doing accessibility properly, try to implement tests for the access for the accessibility requirements if you can. If you can do that, you're really kind of at the at the at the high end of the maturity scale for accessibility, and you should be. Do be trying to do that. Um, the problem is, is for people starting out, it's not a good place to start out because one of the biggest questions we get after we train people on accessibility, and we have three-day training courses in person and online training courses, this that, and the other, a, a lot of the time we'll train people in basics of accessibility, and um, then they'll come, they'll, they'll know how to turn on a screen reader, and they'll know how to do some of the keyboard navigation with the screen reader, and then one of the first thing that questions that comes back is. Okay, I can hear my application. It sounds like this. It's saying X, Y, Z. Is that the way it's supposed to sound? In other words, the first thing that developers then come back with is they don't understand how screen reader users use screen readers, whether what they what they're in fact hearing is in fact what 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 a screen reader user would ideally expect to hear. So that's kind of a big hurdle that takes time to get over. And in order to write your your automated tests such that they're testing the right thing, you need to have answers to those questions. So Axe, what Axe does is it allows you to get, out of the box, 30% of your accessibility testing for free. And, and then, you know, if you want to put your effort into, the, into writing something yourself, do what Wilco talked about and write your own automated tests that are going to test your specific application for its specific accessibility requirements, because that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of moving the needle further and not reinventing the wheel. So. Yeah, I think you could write some unit tests for your own components. Um, you can integrate Axe in places. I think it is important to have test coverage for accessibility in your application. That way, if you add a feature like 
say you add a component and you want it to work with the keyboard. Um, if you have unit tests that you know you should be able to do, um, to integrate some accessibility into your unit tests that way. Like if you're testing for mouse stuff, you should test for keyboard stuff. And that way, if somebody breaks it, they will get the red light on top of their desk saying they broke the build, or that that would be pretty cool if it did. <laughs> um, but that way, people understand that they broke something. Um, it, it's sort of a contract to show this is how this thing should work. We did a lot of that in the Angular Material framework. We would have unit tests for components, and those included things like, can I operate this component with the keyboard? Does it set the right ARIA attributes? And those are, we do some checking of ARIA attributes, but you would have to write unit tests that, you know, open a component like with the keyboard and then test that it opened correctly. So I think that you still have some responsibility to write tests for your own application. Um, integrating with something like Axe will help you get a bigger or a broader set of tests to run. Um, but it is something that you have to, you know, think about your own application. You know, how is it supposed to work with a keyboard? Uh, cool. So I, I think we've established that uh, Axe Core is like the jQuery of automated accessibility testing where it covers, it makes it so I don't have to think about the differences across different uh, platforms and actually even beyond the jQuery because I don't actually have to like do a whole lot to um, to actually run tests on uh, on things I just have to call into the API right so like as far as it, as far as I understand it you just you you have your normal test, you generate your HTML, and then you say, okay, Xcore, like, and your CSS, Xcore, um, audit this. And that's yep. that's pretty much the whole story it's there. It's just it's it's as straightforward as that. You, that is where you start. You run X every on every page and every state that you have that page in, and if you have zero violations, you've done an amazing job. Nice. And so, and so you're saying I can do something like uh, click, you know, expand my autocomplete, run axe, close my autocomplete, run axe, and it just kind of takes care of it on each yep. state. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I think it would still be on you to set up the bindings to actually open it. <laughs> so you'd, right. still, you'd yeah. still have to open it and get it into that state, ideally with the keyboard um, command. You know, you can stub keyboard events and pass the right key code and make sure that you're opening it with the space bar, the inner key, closing it with the escape key, that kind of stuff. And then once it's in that state, you could run the test and make sure that if there's ARIA that was supposed to be set, that it's correct. Um, but I think there's some custom stuff that you could add in to make sure that, you, like I said, that you have keyboard support and you can even open the, the component with <laughs> the keyboard. Yeah, I was, I was going to mention um, just real quick that I found it extremely difficult to do things like capture focus when you're tab focus when you're in a modal or work with um, fancy JavaScript components in an accessible way. And so hopefully... If I can open my modal, I can just run Axe, and it'll just tell me. Well, would that actually catch that? If I opened up a modal and I ran Axe, would it tab behind the modal for me, or do I have to kind of like catch those fancy cases? <laughs> no. So, so dynamic content testing is still very, very tricky. Um, you can imagine that if Axe were to try things like move the focus around the page just to see what happens. The page could, anything could happen. 
Um, I see, yeah. And you, you don't want the thing that you're testing to change as you're testing it, so that's really kind of tricky. Yeah. Um, it will definitely be something that we're thinking about. Like, there are ways around that, and as we develop acts and as um, really as automated accessibility de uh, testing develops, we'll get more mature and we'll get smarter and we'll find new ways to integrate with that. So right now, I don't think there's any tool automated tool out there. So for those kinds of cases, write your own unit test. You can write a unit test and figure out what's the most what's the element that currently has focus. Yeah, I will add that that particular problem is tricky for everybody. Focus yeah. traps, like there's, we're really trying to get native support for stuff like inert, um, the the dialog element in Chrome, which kind of happened but didn't really because the spec wasn't really clear. Um, we're trying to expose some primitives um, in the community to, you know, push on browsers to give us those tools because that problem is really, really hard. But I think there is some opportunity to write some um, tests to just check that focus is even being caught in the right place. And so that's, that's an area for opportunity, I think, is to write some tests that really make that easier and so we're not chasing our tails trying to solve that over and over. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people have like cracked open jQuery UI to steal their their tab focus. The tabable, the tabable, tabable yeah, selector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want all of jQuery UI. I just want the tabable selector. <laughs> yeah, everyone does that. <laughs> Dylan, did you have something additional you wanted to share? Yeah, no, I just wanted to say there are some uh, libraries out there that, or let's go, there's products out there, none of which are free as far as I know that do try to do some kind of automated testing of ARIA widgets and in keyboard interactions. I don't know that they, I, I, don't, I can't recommend any of them because I don't know how well they work, um, but there are some kind of commercial tools that do try to do that, and there is some scope for doing that. We've thought about, as, as Wilco said, we've thought about doing that sort of stuff. If uh, We're an open source project, so if there's anybody out there that has a smart idea of how they could integrate that sort of <laughs> testing into Xcore, come on, guys. <laughs> JS yeah, come on, go open source. <laughs> awesome. So we're we're coming pretty close on our time. We have about like thirteen minutes left. Is there anything else in particular you wanted to cover before I go to? Uh, I think we have one question on on Twitter right now, but we might have more. Anything else you wanted to talk about? I mean, no, I, I just you know, I, go, I just one one thing is, and that is, uh, you know. If you don't know anything about accessibility and this is the first time you've heard about it, um, just go and download the Only the X extensions and just go and run it against your, your apps and, and use that. There's, there's like a more info link inside there. And you click on that more info link and it takes you to the dquniversity.com website and you can start to learn about what are the sorts of disabilities that are affected by this sort of defect, why should I care, how, and, and a lot of links out to information about how to, how to um, fix it and also uh, more information about standards that it relates to. So even if you're just learning for the first time maybe about accessibility, the Xcore extension can serve as something that can help you learn more about that. And, and hopefully, um, you know, a couple of you will, will take that and, 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 and become experts. Because the other thing I would like to say is um, there's a lot of demand for accessibility out there, a lot of big banks, big insurance companies, airlines. Uh, looking for a lot of people with this knowledge. So if you want to up your salary, 
become an expert in accessibility. It really is. It's a, at this point in time, it's a, it's a good career move to, to become an expert. Um, Marcy, for example, we had to we had to sell her for lots of money to, to a company recently for a period of time because she's an Angular expert and she's a, an accessibility expert. And you'd be surprised how much money this company is willing to pay for her time. There's a lot of opportunity to earn a lot of money if you're an expert in, in the JavaScript side of things and in the accessibility side of things. So. Did you just pimp out Marcy, Dylan? <laughs> yeah, we did. We pimped out Marcy. <laughs> Sorry. Inappropriate. No, I should mention, um, I should mention that it's, it's also just a really rewarding thing to do. Like, I do it because I care about making the web more quality and making it accessible to more people. And so it's it's good career move. It's it's also just really fulfilling. So that's why I do it. Um, there is a lot of demand. Um, that particular client needs more help, I think. But um, it's it's really cool to see accessibility, you know, in modern applications. I think it can get tricky. And so they do need help with things. Yeah. And I, I feel like it, it seems like there's a lot of really low-hanging fruit. Um, with accessibility, and if you just learn, like, and lots of that stuff is just really simple, like, just put an ARIA role on that thing, and, and suddenly it's much better, like, so I, even if you have a pretty rudimentary understanding of, of accessibility, you can start to help people um, make their apps more accessible, and, and over time you, you'll learn more, and, and eventually you'll be at Marcy Sutton level, and... <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's worth emphasizing that uh, this is really kind of important. The number one rule of ARIA is not to use ARIA unless you can <laughs> really not avoid it. Yeah, that's true. Because it can get messy. You are opening yourself up for a very complicated debugging and testing over and over and over again. If yeah, you can if use native, like... use native. Yeah, if it looks like a button, make it a button. Just use a button. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, so we've got uh, um, two questions now on on uh, Twitter, but uh, Brian had something really quick before we get well, into that. All right. If we before we run out of time, I was just wanting to know if you had any tips. I know um, it's already hard enough to be like, I want to test my whole app. How can you convince your your boss or whatever that we need to spend time on accessibility? Is there any like Quick, like one-liners, I can say. I, mean, I work at Salesforce because they're so they're all about it. But for others and stuff, I would frame it as a quality problem. Like if you and Dylan used the the word defect. Um, if you frame it as quality, you know, just like security or performance, um, I think it's something that's really important. It can expand, you know, your customer base. You're making your app more accessible to you know actually get more customers. Um, and there's also the legal risk. So if you're a big enough company, there is a lot of le there is a lot of growing legal risk. Um, so it's important to make sure that you're thinking about it proactively so that you don't get sued for it. Yeah, I mean, like just one line is 20% of people in the U.S. have some sort of disability. And so if you are in any way creating uh, creating an application that's that's targeted at say older um, people. Uh, you know, you're automatically just going to make it a lot easier to use. And, and insofar as they have choices of between w which apps and which sites they use, they're going to gravitate towards the ones that are easier to use. So I think there's, there's a huge opportunity there to talk about how this allows you to go after that particular market a lot better. 
And then there are also temporary disabilities. It's just about usability. They're temporary disabilities. I, you know, just a while back, I, I, I fell off a boat and hurt my, my leg, and I, and I was hobbling around on, on crutches through the airports and all sorts of stuff. And when you're hobbling around on crutches, it's really difficult to get two hands to use stuff. And so, um, you know, whether you're a, a mother with a baby in your arm, you know, and you can only use one hand, or whether you, you know, whatever it is, if you, um, we all have these sort of temporary disabilities where we, where we can't always use the mode of interaction that we'd like to use. And so that, it, if you start thinking about the applications in, in, from an accessibility perspective, what it does is it, it opens your eyes to these ways we can improve the app for everyone. Um, and, and I think that's an opportunity too, so. Yeah, actually, that's, I, I feel like that's a, a great note to, to close on, is that really it, accessibility improves things for everybody. Um, yep. Yeah, and it very I, much does. Yeah, I, I have actually a temporary accessibility issue. My keyboard, for some reason, <laughs> stopped working. Oh, um, there you go. So well, it's in the middle of the show, so if I'm not <laughs> typing anything, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going mouse right now. But, <laughs> um, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and jump into our uh, Twitter questions. We have two from uh, Rob Fentress. Um, and Hi, the Rob. Yeah. <laughs> the first question is, I know uh, Tenon has an integration with WordPress. Any effort to do this with Xcore? Uh, yeah, well, do, we don't have an integration right now. Amanda Rush, who works in the WordPress uh, group, was promised us she was going to work on something, so there are some, there's some stuff going on there. Uh, but it's, wink, wink, uh, notch, notch. Yeah, wink, wink, notch, notch. <laughs> uh, but no, we don't have an out-of-the-box integration right now. Great opportunity for someone who wants to get involved in accessibility to do that. Awesome. And uh, next question is, any tutorials on using Gulp with AxCore? Documentation on that seems sparse. Um, you know, there's nothing special about Gulp. We do have a Grunt plugin, uh, but all the Grunt plugin does is kind of take the WebDriverJS stuff and and automate that. Um, and so you can use, just like I said, the whole principle behind Axcore is use it with whatever infrastructure you already have. So if you're using Gun for your, Grunt for, uh, sorry, Gulp for your unit tests or for your running your Selenium tests, and you integrate Axe into those, it'll just work with Gulp. Um, and so I, you know, most of the time I don't see any need for a specific integration with Gulp. There used to be one. Um, I think the author abandoned it, so I might. I might uh, rescue it and see if there's a demo. So keep stay tuned. I think there might be some opportunity to talk more about it. But at this time, there is an, an abandoned repository. But that is it. <laughs> cool. All right. Sounds like opportunities. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's see. I think we're going to go ahead and jump into our uh, link or our tips and picks. So um, yeah, this has been an awesome show. And I see a couple awesome links, uh, tips, and picks in here. So let's go ahead and we'll, we'll have uh, Brian go, and then um, I'll give some tips and picks, and then we'll let our guests go. All right. Um, oh, you know what? I just found this super cool. I'm going to throw it in as a link. It's um, Brad Fo Frost's notes on this awesome talk I saw by Cordelia um, at Clarity. Yeah. <laughs> Um, she's yeah. She's talking about how you have to like kind of, you you can't push the blueberries into the muffin afterwards. Is the message right? You have to kind of bake it into the accessibility and and I think with test driven development and all that, it's it all kind of ties together with this episode. It's beautiful, but um, 
my tips uh, were try to get familiar with your screen reader. I've tried time and time again to actually like understand that you're like within a context and you bump up levels and it's very it takes a lot of practice to understand those things. So I think it it's cool to try it out when it's just bright out or you know whatever late at night or something. Um, and then I have a three picks, um, which is thank you. Uh, uh, just talking about uh, representable uh, functors and um, you know that how you can transform a value into a function that um, you know can wrap that value. It's really interesting stuff about the ONA dilemma. If you're interested, I was just watching that all week, so I put some links there. <laughs> totally unrelated. Oh, that's great. Great stuff. This, this is why I love your picks, because they're often functional programming related. And <laughs> it's just random. Like, oh, man, I care about category win. theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just throw that in there. Okay, so um, for my tips and picks, my first tip is um, don't spend money, actual physical money, on Pokemon Go. <laughs> I think it's fine to play. It's it's a blast. I love playing it. Um, but like, it's a game, guys. <laughs> yeah. So y'all shouldn't be spending money on Pokemon Go. Um, it's great, but yeah, find something else to spend your money on and, and your time. Spend your time with your family and stuff. Um, but I play, and I think it's fun. Um, and so don't pick... Pokemon Go and drive, people. <laughs> <laughs> or motorcycle, or bicycle, or it, even the walking, questionable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, they show you that loading screen for a reason. Yeah, we... Dylan's got it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, it had to be mentioned in the show, of course. So uh, my, my first pick uh, is uh, this video screen or yeah like interview sort of thing that I did with um, Ben Alpert yesterday called uh, contributing to react I just asked him about like what is the process involved with contributing to the react code base it was really informative so I recommend you check it out if you're interested in uh, contributing to react and also um, I found this plugin for ESLint uh, called ESLint plugin JSX A11Y so it's an accessibility plugin. Uh, statically analyzes your JSX to determine if you're breaking any accessibility rules. So, um, on top of Axe, um, uh, you could also use this so that you are authoring stuff in an accessible way. Uh, so, cool stuff. Cool. All right, um, Dylan, why don't we have you go next? Okay, I don't know what, what exactly what tips and picks are, so I'll just say all of them. You guys can sort out the categories with your category theory. Um, the so uh, dquniversity.com I mentioned it earlier it's linked to from within the axe it's a great resource the reason I'm mentioning it is if you're a person with a disability we are currently giving you free subscription to all the courses on dquniversity.com so or if you know somebody has a disability um, go there sign up for it it's uh, it's it's an awesome resource resource um, the other thing I just like to I, I I'm loving React and React and Redux. I love it. Also, if you're looking for other, if you're into React and you're looking for React-related accessibility, there's two. There's the one that I wrote called React X. It only works if you use uh, Create Class. If you're not using Create Class, it's not going to work. In which case, you should use probably React Dash A11Y, which will work uh, if you're um, if you're only using Create Elements. So those are two React-related things. Then in the real world, since we're talking about the real world. My wife just finished a trip where she sailed across the Atlantic, uh, and she went to cruiseekers.net and signed up there and was able to find a ship and find a crew 
and do it all for free. So if you're looking to get out in the real world, get away from your technology, maybe sail across the Atlantic for free, go to cruiseseekers.net. Wow, that sounds awesome. It's, it almost sounds like a scam, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it does, yeah, it does. There's another one that, uh, out there. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, the Crew Seekers is actually pretty legit, actually. It's like that old Scientology, like, uh, whatever boat that they had. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, Marcy, we'll have you go next. Sure. Um, that sounds really amazing, Dylan. Um, my first tip, my programming tip, is to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of related. Um, because mainly, like, I will hammer on a problem and just go around and around and around, and the second I leave my desk and go do something else, boom, like, it comes to me. And you I just... You, you know what you can do outside, of course? Play Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Yeah. No, <laughs> you shouldn't. And you shouldn't, because you... Like, I get screen overload, personally. I need to focus my eyes at a different distance. I need to think about other things that are not related. Uh, we're in a bit of a bubble. <laughs> I've moved very close to the woods to try and get out of that bubble. Um, and for me, personally, like, I get so much more energy by switching my work off, closing the door, taking a break. And so I think it's important to diversify how you spend your time. So that's my biggest programming tip. Um, what else did I, I wrote them down. Um, my other tips, um, I'm speaking at NPM camp coming up, that's in Oakland, and I think tickets are still available, but I'm going to be speaking about testing with Axe, so if you're curious about, you know, how exactly your unit test should be set up, or how to integrate with Selenium WebDriver, I'm going to talk about all of that stuff, and I'm sure once that's recorded, the video will be a great resource. And then my other I don't know if it's a pick or a tip, um, but I wrote a GitHub gist this morning about enabling the Chrome Accessibility Inspector by Alice Boxhall at Google. Um, it is, it was in Chrome Canary previously, now it's in Chrome Stable, but if you enable this experiment, you can go and inspect accessibility nodes for information like see if your input field has a correct label and how it was even computed. There was an accessibility extension that did something similar, but extensions don't have the same API access as an internal experiment. And so this Chrome accessibility experiment um, is a really valuable tool. There's a similar one in Safari, um, but I have a gist with images um, that shows you exactly how to enable it. So that's, those are my picks and tips. That's awesome. On the, on the subject of speaking, you'll also be in Utah, woo, speaking about uh, at React Rally. So come to Utah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll um, see you there, Marcy. I listened ooh. to your podcast the other day with Jameson. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I'm really excited for that one. It's going to be totally different than NPM Camp. Um, it's similar to a talk I'm doing at Cascadia JS, um, but probably uh, I have a bit of a legacy of doing wild things at Cascadia JS now. So that one, sh those two should be a lot of fun. All right, awesome. Cool. Um, and Wilco. All right. So as my pick, I would like to point out the the way perspectives. The it's a resource developed by the Web Accessibility Initiative, which is a group inside of the W3C. They have an awesome set of videos that show you how different people with different abilities use the web. Um, so you could find that at w3.org slash WAI slash perspectives. I love that resource. Um, 
Secondly, I just want to really mention that the Auto Wayback Working uh, Community Group, which I am chairing, um, we are looking for people to help us develop uh, new rules for automated accessibility testing. So if you're interested in that and you are kind of a WCAG nerd, come help us out. It's a lot of fun. And I think maybe as a last tip, you want to catch those pitchies, really. You catch <laughs> them, you evolve them. That's the way to go. You, you catch pitches, you evolve them. That's the way you level up fast. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Cool. So that is our uh, that's our show. So let's. I'll just go ahead and give a couple closing announcements. Um, we do have two silver sponsors. We're grateful for ReactJS program uh, to master the ReactJS ecosystem and Sentry for cross-platform crash reporting. Um, if you want to give us suggestions on um, episode topics or guests then go to jsair.io slash suggest. This episode was actually a suggestion. I think Marcy uh, suggested it, so thanks. This is a good episode. Um, and then uh, feedback. If you want to give us feedback on this episode or the show in general, go to jsair.io slash feedback. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter, uh, we send a newsletter out every week uh, with highlights from the show and that kind of thing, go to jsair.io slash email. Um, and with that, uh, oh yeah, and remember next week we're talking about publishing JavaScript packages with James Kyle, Henry Zhu, John David Dalton, and Stephen Boneman. Yep. Um, it's going to be an awesome show. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, as always, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. And that's it. So thanks everyone for coming. This has been a great show. Thanks so much. This is awesome. Cheers. See you around. Bye, everyone. Bye.